Welcome to the Compliance Perspectives Podcast. I'm Adam Turtletow from the Society of Corporate Compliance and Ethics and Healthcare Compliance Association. Joining us today from San Diego, California is Michael Volkov. Michael is the CEO of the Volkov Law Group. And today we're going to be both looking back at what the big stories are for 2022 and what to expect in 2023. First, Michael, thanks for taking the time to talk to us today. Well, thank you, Adam. Always a pleasure and uh, glad to glad to help out here. Glad to have your help. So let's start uh, with what's usually the biggest story of the year lately, which is anti-corruption and FCPA. Uh, early in 2022, there was much talk of a slowdown in prosecutions. Then things got much busier, especially towards the end of the year. As we move solidly now into 2023, what do compliance teams need to be thinking about when it comes to their anti-corruption program? Well, first, just to comment, uh, the, the year finished off strong uh, from DOJ's perspective. And also we have a revised corporate enforcement policy, which brings in, uh, I think, a new and important issue. And that, and that I think is gonna be one of the stories for 2023 in terms of anti-corruption. And that is looking at your compliance compensation system. And DOJ is expecting uh, everybody to take a broad look at clawbacks, deferred compensation programs, and punishing wrongdoing, wrongdoers and making sure that there are articulated policies and that they're executed. Uh, on the flip side, they're also expecting there to be positive incentives for compliance. Uh, lo and behold, that in other words, that beyond just uh, you know, a positive uh, annual employment review, if you comply with compliance requirements or if you meet those, uh, they want to see some more thought and, and creativity given to positive incentives. Now, going beyond that to where do I expect enforcement to go? It's going to go. I think we're in for a big year. Uh, they finish strong because they have a lot of cases in the pipeline. We already have some indication that 3M is about to settle and we have Ericsson about to settle for their breach of their deferred prosecution agreement. So we're gonna see more. Now, what do I think all of this means for compliance uh, in the anti-corruption area besides the compensation system review? Um, I think we've seen more of culture, culture, and culture. Uh, and uh, culture is gonna be the hot buzzword and the hot expectation. And then you have your bread and butter issues as always, and that is uh, your third-party risk management, but more into the financial aspects of that and even digging into what I would consider the nuts and bolts, or I call it the tinkers to evers to chance, sorry to show my baseball age, but I call it the uh, you know contract to invoice to payment. And uh, and that's where the SEC has put a lot of emphasis. And if you look at every FCPA enforcement action, there's a breakdown in the contract or purchase order to invoice to payment process. Everybody needs to take a look at it. Everybody. That's great direction to give because uh, one, it's where they're looking and, and knowing where the problems are. But two, it's something that's achievable out there. Um, now, let me take a look at another issue on the international front. Uh, the war in Ukraine has led to more sanctions and a great deal of government attention. When I talk to compliance people, I hear that they get it and are on it. In fact, I had a great conversation with someone 
last week who was talking about the complexity of the issue and how they tackled it and did so successfully. To your experience, are organizations on top of this issue? Definitely. Uh, I mean, the year 2022 is the year of the trade compliance officer. That's what I've said. It's the person of the year. Uh, we all need to give uh, sort of, you know, uh, an applause and recognition of what a difficult year it was for trade compliance. Uh, you know, this was an unprecedented uh, sanctions program that was implemented, uh, you know, by allies, by partners all around the world and raised serious, complex issues. I mean, for a period of time, Adam, we in February and March, when all of this started, we were literally busy 24-7 dealing with sanctions issues for clients because the, the, the landscape was changing on a daily basis. So people are definitely attending to it. I think the Justice Department also came out and said, look, uh, trade sanctions enforcement is going to be the new FCPA. And that certainly sent a message. Uh, and we're seeing very aggressive uh, enforcement actions right now um, going after people who are trying to evade the Russia sanctions. But I do think everybody attended to it. They had to. Remember, OFAC is a strict liability uh, you know, enforcer. In other words, it doesn't matter if you didn't intend to violate uh, the sanctions. If you do, you're in, you, you get an enforcement action. DOJ, on the other hand, requires willful intent. But nonetheless, DOJ has ramped up its efforts uh, in this area for obvious reasons, given the world reaction to the invasion. So kudos to the trade compliance uh, function. The one issue that I continue to harp on in this area is we've got to see better integration. Uh, too often I've seen silos of trade compliance. But I think uh, the sanctions uh, sort of change in the landscape has sort of brought them together uh, in, a, in a marriage that, that should have occurred a long time ago. But nonetheless, let's see, let's see that effort continue in terms of the integration of uh, sanctions and trade compliance with the overall compliance program. So that, that I am glad to see. And uh, I think it's one of the many positive compliance stories that have come out of the sanctions world. Well, it'll definitely be a, a big change if, in fact, it does become better integrated because you're right, it tends to be off in its own silo in the past. But the way, with stakes so high, I can definitely see things becoming more integrated. Um, I want to go back to something you talked about earlier, which is culture. Um, corporate culture seems to be getting ever more attention. What, from your perspective, should companies be thinking um, and doing to ensure that there really is a culture of compliance and ethics? Well, now you've uh, you've set me up in my sweet spot, Adam, and uh, that is, uh, this has been an issue that I've been pushing for a long time, and, uh, and it seems like DOJ came a little bit late to the game, not a lot late, but a little bit late, and um, they are in their guidance, they have started to emphasize more a culture of ethics and compliance and the importance of that. And the way that I characterize it is, look, your culture is your best internal control that you can ever have because uh, it really sets the tone for the organization. It creates its own set of sort of parameters around behaviors and expectations. So 
what do I expect people to do? Number one is define your culture. Number two is attend to your culture and embed the culture. And number three is to monitor your culture. And number four then is to, to intervene where you see culture deficiencies. So I also uh, have been pushing the idea that we have to educate the board and senior management on the importance of culture, that it's more than just beyond just saying, uh, you know, hey, we do the right thing. That's not it. It's much more than that. What are the expectations and the norms that we have surrounding the behavior and our mission and the behavior of how we treat each other, how we treat our customers, how we treat our third parties, how we are going to conduct business. And senior management sets the tone for that. And I, I hate to use the term tone at the top, but they, it is not just communications, but it is behaviors. Now, what really I think needs to occur, let's assume you have a culture and you have defined it and you have communicated around it. You need to assess always. You need to monitor and you monitor by determining what's, what sort of indicators do you see that start to indicate or give you some information that you're, that you may be suffering some problems in culture, some weaknesses, some deficiencies. It may be in a particular geographic area, a product line, a particular country in which you operate. And that you have to assess and develop tools like surveys, interviews, focus groups, all of the types of things that are needed to get in and get, get your hands dirty with your culture, and then report to the board. Report to the board quarterly on something relating to your culture. Don't rely on the annual or biannual surveys that HR conducts about your uh, company and your employees. Develop your own tools and develop your own strategy. So that's, uh, I mean, this is my, this is one of, uh, you know, my, uh, my pet issues that I've written a lot about and I've been pushing people to uh, really uh, develop because I've seen companies with good cultures and I've seen companies with bad cultures. And if there's anything, by the way, that the Justice Department pointed out in its FCPA enforcement year, the companies that had systemic and pervasive problems they noted and cited their cultural deficiencies, their weaknesses, and then they earned compliance uh, monitors. Uh, and those being, uh, you know, the two most significant cases of the year, Stericycle and Glencore. Well, and the hard part is culture is one of the most difficult things to change because it tends to be so pervasive. It's one of those things that you have to constantly stay ahead of. And that's a that's a great point, Adam, in terms of the the that it's you have to constantly attend to it. You can't just come, you know, every quarter and say, okay, let's look at this and then leave. So you talked about the importance of the CEO and board and the dreaded term, I think for you, Tone at the top. Uh, the scrutiny of them seems to be well on the rise, whether it's the DOJ guidance or the Marchand decision in Delaware. What should compliance teams be telling the C-suite and board? Well, that's uh, that's an important point. First, we had a very important decision that came out of Delaware that applies the Caremark Marchand um, standards to senior management now. So the CEO, CFO, chief legal officer, 
whatever. These are people and, and should be chief compliance officer who are now going to fall within the care mark monitoring standards. So that's the first thing. The second thing is um, it's important for compliance to uh, train senior management and the board on what the expectations are and also how are they supposed to carry out monitoring and implementation and measuring of a compliance program. All too often I see senior executives and the board not really familiar with how to do their job when it comes down to it. And I think the chief compliance officer has to educate on this uh, and get in front of the board, get in front of senior management and explain to them a little bit more about DOJ's expectations, SEC's expectations, regulatory expectations, and the court expectations that have come out of the Delaware court decisions. So finally, let's uh, close by looking forward. Any rays of sunshine or dark clouds you see on the horizon in 2023? What should compliance teams be looking out for? Well, I always like to close on an optimistic note. Uh, the reason I love the compliance profession, uh, I love its mission, but really what I love the most is its creativity and its um, optimism. Uh, I'd rather, you know, have a drink with a group of chief compliance officers than I hate to tell you than than general counsels, uh, because there's optimism. They're mission oriented. They're trying to make their country, their company better. There's always a positive note as opposed to a negative note. So the positive note is the profession is growing. The importance is growing. And with, you know, organizations like yours, Adam, uh, we are, you know, seeing the continued rise uh, of the chief compliance uh, function. And I think we're going to see that even this year, even if we have some a little bit of an economic slowdown, compliance is always, always going to be uh, important and critical to every business. Well, I definitely don't want to argue with that. <laughs> well, <laughs> Michael, thank you for taking time away from your morning to talk to us. I want to thank all of you for taking the time to listen. I'm Adam Sertelt from SCCE and HCCA. I hope we're able to expand your compliance perspective.